<laughs> Greeting. <laughs> Greetings. This is Ahmad Boda, and today is February 8th, 2022. And we got a special guest on today. His name is Max Barnard, and he is the mod of a sub called Abundance Unified, which we'll provide links to in the description. So welcome, Max. Thank you, Atma. It's lovely to be here. Very good. And this is a new format that we're experimenting with. I thought that some of you might get, get tired of me just rambling on alone. So this might make things a bit more interesting. Let's hope. Anyway. So if you, if you don't mind, Max, could you tell us something about yourself? Yeah. So I have been looking for, I guess, God my whole life. I grew up as a Mormon and relatively faithful, but always doubting and confused and seeing conflicting things within the church. And a while back, I had this intense anxiety. I considered that I might actually die from like heart failure or whatever. So I needed a way out. And my instinct was to turn to meditation, which I thought I've known before. But I found a teacher on YouTube a Buddhist monk, I think his name's Yangye Mingper. Mm -hmm. um, and what he taught me was like kind of the opposite of what I thought meditation was before. And as I became skillful in this practice, all my anxieties kind of released into like bliss. And when I saw what was happening in the moment, I, I don't know, I could see, I guess, things clearly that... Uh, external things don't um, play a huge role in the like they shouldn't control me and I should control myself based on them okay great well if you could just say briefly a little bit about what the spiritual practice was and how it did not meet your expectations of what you thought it would be that would be great so before I was um, searching for all this and stuff. And I had gone to yoga classes. I've done quite a bit of yoga um, and meditation and stuff. And what I found is that often in the West that when you talk about meditation and stuff, it's really a form of relaxation. Um, but what I found is that it's the complete opposite where you are really engaging your mind in what's happening and like looking at things very openly and letting them come through you. Okay. Interesting. So would you say it's about focusing the mind? Because there's so many different practices and, and, and some Buddhist practices in my experience, like for example, Vipassana, it's simply about just being and observing the mind and observing everything. Whereas there are some more yogic practices that are more about focusing the mind to a, a single point. So there's these different styles. What style do you think is, is closer to what you've experienced? Indeed, that's a good question. So the original, um, the original practice that I started with was, uh, like you said, the Buddhist practice of just being and like becoming witness to everything happening around you. And then as I started looking deeper into like Hinduism and yoga and stuff, I found all these practices that could really support this general idea of um, a present mind in yoga such as pranayama or sometimes asana, concentration exercises, and, uh, even chakra work and stuff, energy work. Okay, great. Have great. all been very helpful. And so would you say that there was a moment where you reached some kind of breakthrough whereby you felt that now you are in a better place, that you feel like you have a message that you wanted to share with people? There was, there was a time that I was with my ex-girlfriend and I had drawn upon this presence and I just, uh, I kind of like let go and I saw things clearly and I wasn't working for anything that I had desired for myself, but in the same, uh, in the same boat, I was completely fulfilling myself by i don't it's it's hard to put into words actually 
Okay, great. And and likewise, I mean, you're a guest here, but this is not necessarily about me interviewing you. It's more like two minds coming together and having a conversation and you know, you can ask questions of me, I could ask questions of you. And it's just a kind of a feeling out process and, and getting to know each other in a bit way too. Of course, I would like to ask about which traditions that you find yourself most involved in and about your practice. That's a great question. And I f- find affinity with not just one path, you know, being a Westerner, I feel like first and foremost, I'm more of a scientist in that I have an experiential understanding of things. I don't want to blindly believe in any particular path, but more use what works for me. And there's things I admire about various paths. For example, in Christianity, they have got a concept of unconditional love and agape. And I think that is great. And they have a concept of redemption and forgiveness. And I really admire that. And that's definitely a strong part about what I'm about, consequently. And, uh, and as a kid growing up, I went to church. And however, you know, that there's things, of course, that I didn't like about the experience as a child. You know, I, I remember distinctly going to church and being forced to, of course, by my parents. My father is a very dogmatic, uh, born-again Christian. And... I remember looking around in church at how people were worshiping God. And and one point when I was really young, I mean, I forget how old I was, maybe nine or 10 or something. I, I literally became an atheist because I was looking around thinking, you know, if God existed, he wouldn't want to be worshiped in this way. I looked around and I just thought it was kind of authoritarian. And it, from one perspective can be a bit demeaning, like everybody's worshiping. It's like, if God is God, why does he even need to be worshipped? Why does he need to have obedience? Why does he need to have, why is there judgment? Why is he a jealous God? It's like all of these questions, it just didn't make any sense. And so it's like, if this is what God is, I'm not going to believe in it. That was my <laughs> perspective as a young kid, right? But um, yeah, you know, actually that, that makes me think something that my presence has really come to show me is that there is recurring themes and truths within all religions and stuff um but on the same page there's empty ritual in all religions and shame and etc so Mm -hmm. i know what you mean there and the concept of original sin and that we are all sinners and we've all fallen short of the glory of god and all of that so there's a lot of baggage which in turn has poisoned a lot of minds away from the concept of god in general like he's a he's a dictator. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so that certainly was my perspective when I was, was very young. And it wasn't even until when I was older that I even knew what love was. So I felt completely people don't. Yeah. Yeah. So, which is ironic because you would think that being religious and being in a religious family, you would experience love or, you know, at least that should be you know, basically, you know, a fundamental of the experience, right? It should be the the normal. And it is fundamental if you think about it, because every baby knows unconditional love, but we all forget it as we age. Yeah, 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 exactly. Through our identities. So, So that's my background growing up. But then I discovered the Bhagavad Gita and I discovered, you know, I read some other books, Huna, Beginner's Guide by Enid Hoffman. I read Autobiography of a Yogi by, by Paramananda Yogananda. So I was exposed I to these other paths and, and, and I was inspired. Um, and, and I thought, wow, this is a concept of God that seems to be much less limiting and doesn't require your s- surrender necessarily. And it doesn't, because I was always a very independent person, a, a bit of a a rebel in terms of having a bit of an authority problem with not uh, just innate. I can't explain why many seekers are rebels. Yeah. Yeah. That could be, but what I admire about the um, yogic philosophy is the concept of Brahman and that there is an ultimate, that there is a, a a greater self that encompasses everything. 
And then I also admire uh, ancient Western philosophers like Socrates, where there's a theory of forms, which means that there's archetypes to every form on earth, which means if there's a table that you can see on earth, that there is an ultimate archetype of that table that exists perhaps in heaven or in some higher plane. And the same is true. Storehouses of heaven, huh? Well, it, it just basically says that there's no thought that a human can conceive of that doesn't already exist in another higher plane, which is a very interesting concept. It is. And you mentioned the Bhagavad Gita too. And I want to say that that, um, that book is kind of like the epitome of my search and kind of solidified my love of like Christ and stuff who I'd been looking for my entire life as a Christian and, you know but that's awesome and and that brings to an important point because people get attached to the idea of let's say if they're a christian they must only love jesus and if his name is not called jesus then they're not going to want to have loyalty to that concept whereas the ironic part about that is Jesus, when he was alive, he never even called himself Jesus, right? Different language. It was a Yeshua or something. And so in in my view, if you're going to be Christian, why don't you actually call him by the name he was born with? (laughs) That's why is it? Why is it called Jesus? It's like, who thought of the name Jesus? But anyway, that's beside the point. I couldn't quote anything, but I know that Christ definitely said that he is within every heart and you know, within all things, heaven is all around and within all people, Mm -hmm. we just don't see it. Well, I respect Jesus quite a lot. And I don't want anyone to misunderstand me and and try to say that I'm like trying to mock the Christian faith or anything like that. That's not what I'm about at all. What I admire about Jesus is actually what he stood for and which is unconditional love and, and about forgiveness and redemption. And that archetype is an ideal to strive for. So instead of calling myself a Christian, I would rather aspire to be Christ-like instead of being a follower of Christ to attempt to walk in the footsteps, because that just seems to be more, more of what he would want than to just have followers. I think that's a lovely way to put it. Adma. I haven't heard those words exactly before, but I agree completely. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, so, the, so just stretching differences. So with Bhagavad Gita, one thing that the Bhagavad Gita is that inspired me is, is that it's, uh, he talks about always having your mind on him, which is, it, which is in a way very similar to Christianity. So when I talked about archetypes, you can say that Krishna has some similar archetypes to what Jesus was supposed to stand for. So whether you call him G- Jesus, whether you call him Krishna, whether you call him Yeshua, what matters is not the name but the principles and the ideals of what that person strives for, in my opinion. Agreed. Because if, if, if you've got two people about unconditional love or about love and about that, that just kind of goes deeper. And it also talks about in the Bible, it talks about fruits of the spirit. Whereas if you are walking a holy path, you are going to have certain characteristics about you, certain virtues about you that are going to show up. Right. So you're going to be regarded as kind. You're going to be regarded as loving. You're going to be regarding as forgiving and all of these virtues, grateful and humble. And it's like, if you have these virtues, these are good indicators that maybe this person is not so evil. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and I've, what I heard also is Paramananda Yogananda had, uh, has a book that he's written about the Bible, which could be helpful to those coming from a Christian tradition to get another perspective on the word of God, because he spent a considerable portion of his life in California in reaching Westerners coming from a traditional perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard a lot of things about Yogananda and his love for Christ and you know, there's books out there. I have a book. It's a 
entitled uh, The Sermon on the Mount, according to Vedanta. And that was written by a, a disciple of Yogananda's uh, disciple. So. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you asked me the question about what tradition I associate with. So basically, elements of Christianity, elements of yogic philosophy. Also, I really admire Tao, Taoism, from a certain perspective in terms of being one with the moment and being in harmony with this universal life force energy. Yeah. And also Zen Buddhism, how you, how in Zen Buddhism, they regard it possible to suddenly become enlightened and, and suddenly everything becomes clear and suddenly you feel attuned with the universe that this can happen in an instant. So there's things that I admire about various traditions and in Buddhism as well. A lot of people don't understand there's misunderstandings in my opinion about Buddhism, but the Buddha himself was a very positive charismatic figure originally. And he also was about um, compassion and in Buddhism, they talk about compassion and Interestingly, they don't really talk about love in the same respect. So it's, I guess, love and compassion. They're, they're kind of equating the two, maybe. But um, yeah, I would say they're interchangeable in a way. You know, yeah. There's definitely limitations to speaking about these things in a different language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 so to bring back your point is that there's truth in many of these um, traditions. And this common thread of truth is what everybody can attune themselves into that we don't have to be limited by a tradition but we can go to the essence and the core of that and incorporate that within us and that's that's what i believe absolutely there's a there's a lovely in fact i hate to use the word by... believe <laughs> that's what i experienced <laughs> yeah. I, I don't even like using the word believe I, I i had this realization don't believe receive that's that's important to me don't believe and if you believe you cannot receive well, it depends what you believe. There. Like if you believe you're unlimited or if you believe that you can receive, I mean, you know, certain beliefs are not as limiting as others, right? So still experience is far superior to belief, especially higher inspiration. But, but yeah. go ahead. I didn't, didn't mean to interrupt you. No, that was a fair point. It was good. I was just going to say that um, this uh, subredditor, I think his name is Farjik, buddha or something he has a wonderful uh essay comparing uh the words of uh, the tao te ching from the taoism faith as well as words from christ and they're all laid out right next to each other it's on my subreddit i i thought it was a wonderful read that's why i had to share it there and it kind of points to the same topic we're considering right now mm -hmm. awesome well, let's see. Max Bernard, you are, uh, maybe I shouldn't say where you are. Do you mind if I say where you're from? I'm from Utah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, as you know, I'm living in China on the other side of the world. But, but uh, I always admired Utah. I loved uh, Moab, Utah when I visited there. It's great. Some great mountain biking, mountain biking trails and a lot of Mormons. Is, is that how you were raised as a Mormon? Yes, indeed. I was raised Mormon and forced to go to church just like you. <laughs> so if, if I may ask, are your parents then still pretty much strongly steeped in this tradition? I wouldn't say they're strongly steeped, but they're still there. Yes. Do they have any opinion about think they... what, what you're doing? Is there some pushback? Um. No, no, no. They... You know, my sister is an atheist and uh, uh, I've had a long time uh, kind of pushing back against the church. So now that I'm like, you know, coming back to God and stuff, actually, this brings up something very interesting. My dad is not from Utah, but he was also raised Mormon. And he also considers that every uh, spiritual path can lead to salvation, which is something I've never heard a Mormon say. And oh, great. Kind of opened my eyes a little. 
Well, what I can say is one of the reasons why I invited you to this podcast is because I admire a lot of what you have written online in, um, in, in your posts on, on Reddit in particular and in some chat conversations. And that comes as high praise from me because I can kind of pick out, um, sometimes I can be critical on what somebody can <laughs> write. And so I'm not so critical of what you write. It, it, you seem to be coming from a more um, um, wholesome perspective in terms of um, resonating with uh, a higher power. Likewise, I don't often find too many people online who I can completely agree with, but a lot of your work is very respectable in my opinion. Like on your, you talk a lot about individualism and the importance of being yourself. And I think that's the only way that you can really find your path. We're all coming from different areas in this world. And we're all, you know, we're all going to walk towards the same point eventually, the ocean that is, you know, God or whatever you'd like to call it. But you can't try to force people to see things how you do because it's definitely not going to work for them. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's actually how some people attribute to me. Some people are trying to think that I'm trying to compel people to think my specific way, which is a bit ironic because my pushback this is entirely read it. Huh? <laughs> well, my pushback is entirely <laughs> on, on respecting the individual and not pushing anything on anybody and not even advocating that you should surrender your sense of individuality to anything, you know? So, yeah, absolutely not. You know, I mean, the least spiritual thing for someone to do is to force their spiritualism when they're into the completely different place and by external means, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. something like yeah, it should be definitely come from an internal place. I mean, having said that, though, you know, I, I'm curious to know your opinion about this concept. I was debating with somebody a bit earlier this morning about how there are, let's see, people who pretty much say that every truth is is equal, or that everybody is is equal, and and you you can't if you come out and try to say that you're perspective or your opinion is superior to somebody else, then you are basically doing something wrong or coming from ego or you're trying to, um, how do I say that? And I mean, my response to that is, in my opinion, not all perspectives are equal. The man on the mountain is not superior to the person below the mountain, but you can say that he can have a superior view. Yeah. Well, I think in the way that everyone's, you know, walking, like they are equal in a way that they're just, I don't know. They're not equal, but they're equal. And I can't really put it any better than that. And if, if you, maybe the efficiency is the difference. Cause efficiency kind of, yeah. The efficiency of like re self-realization, uh, depending on one's perspective, because if you look in the wrong place, you're going to suffer and that's going to lead you away from that. Mm -hmm. But if we also, that makes me think um, of something like, if you think of Krishna and Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita, they were like extremely close and great friends their entire lives. And Krishna never, taught or counseled him until he was absolutely in panic you know about to fight a war with the other side of his family trying to run away from it and stuff and just desperate you know mm -hmm. he waited to teach great well if i may share with you something i wrote earlier i mentioned that truth is by its very nature controversial and will always be outnumbered by falsehood. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can't say always because I'm not sure what the future holds, you know? Well, that's I think that tr truth is uh, contradictory to the uh, instincts we are born with. 
All right. Well, let me just share kind of a nuance. The reason why I said always is just because the truth is one. The truth is not even words. It's beyond words. It's an experience that anyone can tune into and experience. And so thus, it always will be outnumbered because anything more than one is outnumbering it. True. It's like... uh... You know, truth is found where two meets one. You know, all that all that is material is expressed in dual. There's suffering and, and joy and hot and cold and well, know, what, what do you think about this statement? Down, the only people that can feel threatened by truth are those that are living a lie. Yeah, absolutely. If they're uh, identified with the you know identified with trying to be someone else who they then they really are you know absolutely so what what if i may ask you what inspires you the most like what is it that really you know motivates you if i may ask when i look into somebody else's eyes i see a reflection of myself I see two things, an accumulation of suffering and like conditions and a spark of creativity and love at the core. And I feel very deeply that their suffering is mine. Well, that's, Thank you for showing that perspective. If, if I may ask you, why would you think that someone else's suffering is yours? Because, well, okay, so that's a little bit of a confusing way to put it. Because I'm, when I see these things, I'm completely fulfilled. I don't have any reserves or desires or anything. So my my heart becomes completely devoted to that part of me, which is them, which isn't fulfilled. And that's just, I guess, the natural tendency. So you are not suffering when you are identifying with the suffering of others. Is that right? My identification from the suffering of others with the suffering of others comes from my release from suffering. So it, it is important that you put yourself first, but when you find yourself, there's not really any consideration anymore. I don't think. So would you regard suffering as something that you can outgrow? I think that you have to suffer to be freed often we run away from our suffering and we try to avoid it. But when we run away, we never get the chance to look at it and discover why we feel these ways and what's happening exactly. So we run away and it chases us and chases us and grows and grows, a shadow hanging over us. But all we really need to do is turn around and look at it and walk through it. It becomes purified through our presence. And so once you do that, then you can be released from suffering? Once you face suffering, you will be released from what you face. Okay. I mean, from my perspective, I, of course, suffering exists in the world, right? There's, there's lots of people that are suffering right now, just people that are in incredible pain, even as we're having this conversation. And they could be in the hospital, yeah. they could have some medical condition. I mean, there's, there is suffering that definitely does exist on this planet. However, you know, the, the question is, is it possible to reach a place where there's no more suffering, where you get released from suffering? And, and from my perspective, there definitely is, because once you are able to cross a thrust, certain threshold of illumination, whereby you can reach a place of bliss and inspiration, continuous inspiration that like never ends, it's like suffering becomes a stranger to you. And I am of the idealistic opinion that every, this is possible for everyone. Everybody can experience this. 
And this is part of what drives me to keep sharing this message is because of the fact that suffering does exist. And I don't think it's, it's necessary, but it's unnecessary. It's like, I think suffering, excuse me, suffering can be necessary up to a point whereby it's only necessary to show us how to not suffer. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's, it tells us that, you know, it's like suffering exists now, you know, what you don't want (laughs) now now that you've, now that you've experienced it, you know, what you don't want to have. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's another language limitation here too, because I'm not defining suffering as, you know, loss or uh, an unpleasant or even painful experience. I mean, defining suffering is like allowing these things, even joy in the allowing what happens around you to influence you instead of controlling yourself and becoming what the situation requires. Okay. Well, let me just push back with you a little bit on the idea of controlling yourself because um, that words are important. And I, I would just slightly tweak instead of using the word control, I would um, I would say be more in tune with yourself and coming from a place of mastery as opposed to control, just because control kind of has a negative connotation. In fact, the mind itself can be very rebellious against the concept of what you're trying to control me. Here, let me fight against that. I'm not, you're not going to control me. I'm independent. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I agree with that. You know, the, the the rampant wandering mind is the, the worst enemy but the present and i don't know tamed mind is the best friend yeah yeah or i don't even like to use the word team uh, tamed because wildness can be beautiful also in nature um do we need to tame the lion or is the lion actually more true to its nature when it's untamed? Right. Yeah. So I, 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 from my perspective, I regard that we don't even shouldn't even need to tame the mind, but just let the mind be what it's designed to be, to have it. You know what the, the, it might be well to put it, as a single pointed mind, like we were talking about before. Mm. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, the a single pointed mind is the, the culmination of a single pointed mind is getting to that threshold of illumination. And just as every heart craves love, every mind craves inspiration and whether they realize it or not. I mean, nobody's going to argue with, being inspired it's like oh could you mind if i inspire you it's like no everybody (laughs) (laughs) some some people might uh refuse love though (laughs) um but but uh, well i mean refuse love is usually because the mind is looking at it and saying well you must be giving me that love for a reason what is your true yes. motive exactly <laughs> what do you exactly. want from me <laughs> how are you trying to manipulate me <laughs> well i the, <laughs> the thing about love and inspiration is that they they come from within truly and i think it's it's the thing that we 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 find people and things in life that truly inspire love and uh inspiration of like creativity within us but we don't know how to grasp that without these things so we develop such an intense attachment to them and a fear of loss and so many terrible things happen because of it i mean look at relationships that's where the the most monstrous parts of us come out oftentimes. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of it has to do, and interesting that you brought up relationship because I was thinking earlier that that was going to be an alternative topic to, to fall back on if we lose steam in the other ones. But um, in my opinion, a lot of times with relationships, how 
they can become start to fail is when the partner tries to get the other partner to conform with their idea of who that person should be, whether that rather than who that person really is. Yes, exactly. It's when we seek like true love does not seek to change anything. It's just in wonder at things, how they are. And maybe it guides in the right direction or in a certain direction, but you know, Mm -hmm. and sometimes maybe that partner you were mistaken about, and maybe that partner isn't who you thought he or she was. And maybe consequently that partner isn't a good partner for you anymore. It's entirely possible, right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, the the, the deaths of two souls always must come to an end. It's, you know, Mm -hmm. you just got to be ready to, you know, uh, absolutely but, but but that's just one perspective and the other perspective is you know maybe even though she's not what you thought she was but maybe she's better than you thought she was maybe by opening the door of your perception wider you can have a happier relationship than you even imagined possible yeah absolutely when you just kind of let in that alternative uh perspective or i don't know what you would call it you know alternative mm-hmm. person but one thing i can say and i i think this is a secret to any relationship being empowered and lasting for a very very long time and this is a controversial um, secret but in my strong opinion that the surest way for a successful relationship between couples is to not put each other first but to put a third thing first whether you call that truth, whether you call that um, love, whether you call that God, but you, you put that as the, as the focus and the priority as the most important thing that's even more important than, you know, your relationship. Uh, yeah. So you'll have to explain this further. Are you talking about uh, both sides of the relationship or? Yeah, like like for time. like for example, uh, whether you call it a God-centered relationship, or whether you call it a truth-centered relationship, whether you call it a love-central relationship, you're taking a third concept and you're uniting people under that concept because that is what can transcend egos. That's what can transcend, you know, individuality. It's like you're putting something higher and greater than your individual bodies. Um, and, and if you both embrace that together, that can strengthen the relationship. Absolutely. I like that perspective. I'm, um, what about uh, people who have no concept of, uh, you know, higher things who, who are devoted to the material, who, you know, think this life is the last that they're going to live and they want to enjoy it. And, or I guess some of them want to suffer greatly the whole time. <laughs> Well, that's a great question. And on every dollar bill are the words in God, we trust. And if we update that to modern times, we could equally say it's in truth. We trust if we we trust in the concept of an objective truth, that is enough because objective truth, it pretty much is the same thing. And, and that in turn is, is inter is speaking the language of philosophy. It's speaking the language of science. So that way you can even be coming from a scientific perspective or a philosophical perspective, and yet still be united with something that's greater than yourself. Like the purpose of science is to arrive at truth. The purpose of philosophy is to arrive at truth. The purpose of religion and spirituality is to arrive at truth. And so truth is is the one constant, in my opinion, that can unite all minds under the same umbrella. So how could we qualify truth to the masses? Would it be something like, uh, I don't know, passionate creation or, you know, how, what would you say? Well, if you, I mean, truth is what it exists that if you, if you take everything else out of the equation, truth is what it's like inspiration inspiration. Um, how do I say this? I mean, people can argue that two plus two equals four, and that's a truth. People can say, oh, gravity 
exists or the law of thermodynamics. These are natural laws. They exist so that they are a form of truth. So basically truth, objective truths are certain truths that are true for everybody. Like you can say as a human, everybody has bodies. You can say love exists. You know, these are all truths. Um, but yeah, it, it, it becomes kind of difficult to describe because actually the purest form of truth is an experience. And if you haven't experienced that truth, it be, it's, it's just a concept to you. But once you cross yeah. that threshold of illumination, then it's no longer a concept. Then it's actually an experience that you're able to live within this experience. And, and you can also call it Tao. You can call it Brahman. You can call it the absolute. You can call it the source. You can call it the force, like Star Wars. May the force yeah. be with you. <laughs> like flow and stuff. Often I, it's, I think that flow is one half of the, like if truth is one, then flow or Tao or etc. is the world and the flow of the world, but that's only half of the duality and the other is consciousness or presence. Well, I mean, like if you, a Tao, if you are in tune with the Tao, you're in tune with the one, right? There's only one. And your presence is in the, okay. Yeah. That, that includes the presence. I see being in tune is the, is yeah, the key. It, like gamblers in Las Vegas, they'll swear about being in the zone, right? What is the zone? Yeah. The slow same state, concept. you know, same concept, you know, they, they think that when they're in the zone, that's when they're winning. And maybe that's true. Maybe it's because of the, uh, that moment, that Tao, that truth that's working through them, that's causing them to win. You know, that's a great way to put it. And <laughs> then it would be important to, you know, find out how we bring people to the zone regardless of the situation, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's why it's important. Don't believe, receive. It's like you, you don't need to overly conceptualize it only to the degree whereby your mind can be receptive to experience it yourself. I, th I think yeah. the, I think the only, you know, preconception is important to have is that you're open to the possibility that there is a, a higher power. That there's something unseen. Yeah. That there can be something that's greater than you can imagine out there. That is not a malevolent force, but a benevolent force. It's there to help you. Well, that, that reminds me of, uh, something it's like when i was going through all these this yoga training and stuff or like the westernized uh, uh i guess appropriated yoga they would always talk about like chakras and energy and stuff and i was you know very skeptical and you know like how could this like uh, unseen energy and stuff uh, i'm not really down with that but I come to realize that, you know, the energy they're talking about, it's just like vibes, you know, you walk into a room and you can sense the, you know, I guess the energy or the vibes, mm -hmm. that's all it is. It's not anything more really. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Well, I've been asking you some questions and stuff. Do you have any, any other things you want to ask me? Oh, how's your, how's what, how's your podcast and your, and your, and your teaching going and stuff? Well, there is a psychological term that I was brought the attention to by a certain YouTube video. And I'm going to share, share that right now. Let me just bring up that word. Cause I thought that was cool. Okay. In psychology, there's a term called outcome independent. And I love that outcome independent. So yeah. what that yeah, means is that's for example, this was in the context of a, a video on this boxer that was, or I think it was a tie kick boxer that very, very talented. And um, when you watch him, it's almost looks like he's playing with his opponent and he would just dodge like 
he's Neo from the Matrix, and um, God, I love the Matrix. In the in the uh, in the and the narrator was saying that one the reason why he is successful is because when he fights, it's like he doesn't care if he's going to win or lose; he's just completely in the moment. I think that's perfect. It's it's just like the the practice of karma yoga. You know, it's it's do the things in this world, but don't be attached to whether they're going to fail or succeed. Because if if you are, you're always going to be seeking pleasure. And you're always going to be held back and not do things because of fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so if you ask me how, what I'm doing, so yes, I recognize that uh, things are at the beginning stages right now. I, I uh, you know, it's not like I've got hundreds of thousands of YouTube subscribers or <laughs> yeah. anywhere close to that, <laughs> but I, I'm just laughing though. At the same time, I'm just, being me and I'm doing what I'm doing and I know it's going to catch on. It's it's, it's, it's kind of like uh, being at a campsite and you're trying to start a fire and the kindling is a little bit damp, but you're still still trying to spark up that kindling and you know, it's going to, you know, that's a catch fire. good analogy. And if you, if you really think about it, it's like the Mormons and stuff, they'll, when people come back from their missions, sometimes they'll be disappointed with the the lack of uh, numbers that they converted and stuff. But uh, to apply this to, uh, you know, generally kind of everything, if you touch one soul, they're going to, you know, bring their light to others. And it's, it's kind of like starting a family in a way it's, it's exponential. I guess that's what a better way to put it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it's like a snowball too. The snowball could start small. And then as it starts to roll down that hill, it gets bigger, 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 yep. bigger and bigger and bigger. But uh, at the same time though, I, I don't like the word converting people. I really dislike that word. Because, oh, I hate it. Yeah. Um, that's exactly what I'm not about. I'm not about converting anybody. And in fact, I like the words of what was his name? Um, oh, anyway, there's, there's a master's, uh, I can't think of his name right now, but he mentioned that I'm not about converting. I'm about inverting. And it's like, yeah, that makes more sense than converting. Can you explain that? I'm inverting. Inverting, which means you can turning people up on top of their head. No, no. Inverting means just turning within, you know, instead of trying to convert people and and make what's outside into them, you're bringing what's inside out of them. Yeah. Yeah. Just pointing people towards their true selves and finding their own arrow and how to, how to take on the world and be themselves truly. Yeah. Like words can point at truth, but fingers pointing at the moon is not the same as the moon, right? It's, it's something you're kind of talking around it, trying to lead people there. Yeah, exactly. But having said that, I do admire these stories of the past whereby you've got masters that have such a strong presence that just by mere fact of being in their proximity, you feel uplifted and you can experience something special just by having that presence and i think that is a goal that everyone can aspire towards is to have such a strong presence that you just walking into a room can help to bring up the energy of everybody in that room to be that powerful yeah because we're all radiating our our you know what we put out in the world our our emotions and our i guess vibes but you know, the person who knows themselves truly radiates the highest or the most uplifting and, and the greatest capacity. Absolutely. Brings other people to that place, inspires them. Awesome. That's what it's about, man. That's what it's about. That's when, what it's about. We got that fire ignited in our heart and we start to blossom and shine. It's like there's a tide a tide of positivity that just comes down and crashes and 
causes ripples and spreads this explosion of joy and love and inspiration everywhere. That's yeah. what it's all about. And it's not about forcing this upon. It's like, no, you must be loving. You must be blissful. It's like, no, you can't, <laughs> <laughs> you can't do that, but you can feel loving and blissful. And, and those that are not receptive to that, it eventually, you know, you're going to have some impact on, on that. You're helping to, to improve the vibe. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. You force people on it. You're going to push them away. If you just give them the love that, you know, then they're going to come towards you in whatever capacity they're able to. Absolutely. But otherwise, I mean, I, I think, let's see, is there anything else you want to talk about with this? Or um, do you think we want to bring this, to, uh, start to bring this to a c- conclusion? Goodness. I, I did have something in my mind, but I, it just slipped. So I guess not. Well, if you, if you can, we can take a moment and if you want to see if there's something that slipped, it wants to come back. Mm. No, I think if I sit here, it'll be, it'll be for a while <laughs> trying, to, trying <laughs> to inspire myself, whatever <laughs> trigger. <laughs> Okay, it's all good. But listen, I really appreciate you, Max Barnard. You are awesome. And I appreciate the work you're doing over at Abundance Unified subreddit. And Thanks. I, I'm terrible at names. I, I'm not very happy with the name of the subreddit. But we'll, we'll improve. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and if also, if you want to get in contact with either of us, we have a new Slack community that I want to announce which you can find links to at divinity.com and Slack is similar to discord. And what I like better about Slack is that it seems to be less infested by spam bots and bloatware and uh, just seems to be overall a bit more professional, clean, and seems to work faster and actually have some more chat features like having threads, individual threads within the chat group, which discord doesn't have. So it's got some advantages there too. And you, it's free to join and you can communicate with either me or Max. And uh, this is just the beginning stages now. So, but I love that word in psychology. What's that word again? Outcome independent. <laughs> Outcome independent. Well, oh yeah. That it's like, yeah, I love that. I love that. It's, it's always nice when you find some, something in psychology that kind of explains what you're talking about. Mm-hmm, there's a great mm-hmm. book called the, the psychology of kundalini yoga by carl Jung, who's you know pretty famous like founding psychology say what you will about him but i, I just love it yeah but yeah 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 awesome well great this has been a great conversation i think it's, it's fruitful and i thank you so much for being a guest on such short notice and i think in the future i'm going to try to do more of these kind of interactions on the podcast and not just be yeah. about me speaking because I, you know, I think that this can be more relatable to more people maybe. Absolutely. Yeah. Come join us on the Slack, come join the subreddit, you know, Atma's got his own subreddit, the ultimate underscore in between it and divinity.com and stuff. And maybe we should do this another time with, uh, with temp, I think, you know, with uh with with temp oh yeah sure i've not talked to temp yeah. people you can try try that for sure great well um until next time everybody you have a good one peace out all right bye-bye